Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Canada EHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. The young woman stood up in front of the photographers with a broad smile as she accepted a prestigious award given to only four students at the University of Alberta that year, from University President Andrew Stewart. Next to her stood a man who would become one of the greatest premiers in Canadian history. Beside him was a man who would advise a prime minister. On the other side of her was a man who became one of the best lawyers in Edmonton. She was among esteemed company, but none shared her background. Her ancestors were enslaved in the United States, who had free children after the Civil War. Those free children moved to Oklahoma, and their children moved to Canada. In their new home, they faced anger, discrimination, and outright racism. Her parents, though, persevered. And now, she stood side by side with other elite students. To get there, Violet King shattered a few barriers already, and she was going to shatter several more in the years to come. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X. Violet King's story doesn't begin with her, but with her paternal grandparents in 1911, who took advantage of ample land available to immigrants and moved from Oklahoma to Alberta. Her grandparents, unnamed in my research, were fleeing the United States and Jim Crow laws, and the Canadian government was enticing American farmers to settle north of the 49, and this included black Americans. Oklahoma became a state in 1907 and had laws limiting basic rights and freedoms for black Americans. They were denied the right to vote, were refused entry to some public places, and were forced to attend segregated schools. Between 1905 and 1912, 1,500 black Americans immigrated from Oklahoma to Saskatchewan and Alberta. 
And this was an unexpected and unwanted turn of events for the Canadian government, who wanted settlers, but only white settlers. And even though black Americans made up less than 1% of the American immigration to Canada, this was still too much. The Edmonton chapter of the Imperial Order of Daughters of the Empire petitioned the Minister of the Interior, Frank Oliver. They stated they were alarmed by the influx of black settlers and believed it would discourage white settlers. The Edmonton Board of Trade followed suit on April 25, 1911, giving a similar worded petition to the minister. Around this time, there was debate in the House of Commons over black immigration. And I won't repeat the quotes used as they are racially insensitive and filled with slurs, but needless to say, the federal government did not want black immigrants coming to Canada and was prepared to put legislation in place to stop it. And they did. Black Americans immigrating to Canada could be denied tickets for trains bound for Canada. They would be told that it was far too cold for them in Canada, and the government would simply ignore their applications for homesteads. Immigration agents in the United States were even paid bonuses for each black family they turned away. At the Canadian border, white immigrants were given a quick examination before entering Canada, while black immigrants were subjected to intense physical exams and days of waiting. One child was rejected simply because he had a broken arm. On August 12, 1911, Prime Minister Sir Wilfrid Laurier's cabinet put forward an order in council stating, For a period of one year from and after the date hereof the landing in Canada shall be in the same as prohibited of any immigrants belonging to the Negro race, which race is deemed unsuitable to the climate and the requirements of Canada. Now, the order of council was never implemented because immigration agents and officials had already slowed black immigration down to a trickle. And on October 5th, 1911, the order was repealed, and black immigration to Western Canada, at this point, essentially came to a halt. Violet King's grandparents endured these conditions and arrived in Canada in 1911 to settle in the community of Amber Valley, located a couple hours north of Edmonton. They were part of the original wave of black immigrants to the Canadian West that so alarmed the government of the time. The descendants of those who settled in this community also included Oliver Bowen, the man who designed the Calgary Sea Train system, which became a shining example of public transit in Canada, Cheryl Fogo, an award-winning writer, and Floyd Sneed, the drummer for the band Three Dog Night. Amber Valley is long gone, just a few buildings and some plaques remain, but the impact of the original settlers lives on. By 1919, Violet's parents moved to Calgary and settled in the area of Hillhurst Sunnyside. Her father, John, worked for the Canadian Pacific Railway as a sleeping car porter, while her mother, Stella, was a seamstress. And Violet would enter the world on October 18, 1929 in Calgary. She had three siblings, Vern, Lucille, and Ted. Her mother said that while growing up, Violet was always one to have her head in a book. In high school, Violet became the president of the Girls' Association, and her grade 12 yearbook caption read, Violet wants to be a criminal lawyer. Now this was no small goal. Being both a woman and a black Canadian put two barriers in place of that pursuit. In 1948 though, she took her first step towards achieving her goals. She enrolled at the University of Alberta and paid for her tuition by giving piano lessons. At the time, there were 142 students in the Faculty of Law, and only three were women. In her 1951-52 school year, 
She was selected as class historian and served as the Alberta representative to the International Student Services Conference in Hamilton. She was also the president of the House Committee at Pembina Hall, which was the girls' residence at the university, and the vice president of the Golden Key Society. She also served as the vice president of the student union and was a member of the Women's Disciplinary Committee. To say that she was filling her schedule during school would be an understatement. At the end of the school year, she received the Executive A Gold Ring, the award I mentioned at the start of the episode, along with her classmates Peter Lougheed, Garth Freyette, and Ivan Head. After graduating with her Bachelor of Arts degree in 1952, she received her law degree in 1953. With her graduation from law school, she became the only woman in her graduating class and also the first black person to graduate from law school in Alberta. Two years later, in 1956, she said of her achievement, People told me it wasn't a good idea for a girl to be a lawyer, particularly a colored girl. So, I went ahead. After she graduated from law school, Violet articled at the firm of Edward McCormick, a criminal trial lawyer. During that year with him, she worked on five murder trials, which was a heavy workload for the new lawyer. And on June 2, 1954, Violet was called to the Alberta Bar and became the first black female lawyer to practice law in Canada. Edward McCormick, the lawyer she worked for when she first came out of law school, presented her and said, I have an applicant which ranks as one of the most pleasant I have ever made in my court. During the year, many articles made it difficult and strenuous. Miss King measured up in everything she was asked to do, and even more. She is qualified to be a barrister and solicitor of Alberta. During the ceremony, Judge W.A. MacDonald said, It takes courage, perseverance, and sacrifice to carry through to a successful conclusion all these things you have accomplished. Your success in studies makes you well qualified in every way for the honor now being conferred upon you. He added that he wanted to say that her troubles were at an end, but in fact, her difficulties were only beginning. Upon passing the bar, Violet simply said, I think this is a wonderful field of opportunity for girls in the legal profession. More girls should go into law. But it would take another decade before another black person, Lionel Jones, was admitted to the Alberta Bar. In the meantime, several newspapers wrote of her accomplishment giving her nationwide attention. The president and vice president of the International Brotherhood of the Sleeping Car Porters and Maids came from New York and Detroit to honor her personally for her achievement. And for the next several years, she practiced law in Alberta, working at the firm of A.M. Heritance and faced discrimination due to her gender and her race. She felt she had to work harder just to be noticed. In 1955, she said, It is too bad that a Japanese, Chinese, or colored girl has to outshine others to secure a position. She spoke about the challenge women faced in the workplace, stating that she hoped in the future a person's ability and not their gender or race would be the focus. I don't think women have become very generally accepted with favor in the legal field. I've been discriminated against, not because I'm colored, but because I'm a lawyer, a field some feel a woman shouldn't be operating in. Vernon Trott, a human relations expert from Toronto, responded that women were typically only waiting to get married, so there was a feeling they would not stay long in the profession, hence why there were no female department heads. To which Violet responded, Women wouldn't resent the discrimination if there was any guarantee that would be so. The battle for equal work represented not so much a desire for money among women, but a desire for status. 
As a lawyer in Alberta, she defended women's rights and spoke out on the importance of equal pay legislation. In April 1956, Violet was then offered a position with Citizenship and Immigration in Ottawa. To take on her new job, she became a non-practicing member of the Law Society of Alberta. She said she loved practicing law and said, If they hadn't given it to me, I would have never given up practicing law. I wasn't looking for any job. I was looking for that job. As she got acquainted with her new position and the people she would be working with, she spent several months traveling around Montreal, Southern Ontario, and the Maritimes. This meant meeting with organizations such as the YWCA, stating that having those contacts would be very valuable. And you'll see that she would be right about that. In May 1958, she participated in the United Nations Internship Course for Civil Servants, where she was one of two women out of 30 in attendance. 28 were men. And this is when she met Eleanor Roosevelt and was given a tour of her house. She then spent seven years with the Department of Citizenship and Immigration, and eventually directed programs with the Canadian Citizenship Council. Her job consisted of traveling the country to meet with community leaders. She said, In my position, I have learned to appreciate just how much the building of good citizenship depends on the work of the organizations in the community. She was often asked to speak at events, and she never hesitated to speak out about racism and her hopes for gender and race equality in Canada. She worked under Ellen Fairclough, the Minister of Immigration, and the first woman in Canadian history to hold a federal cabinet post. And during their time there, the department introduced the new Bill of Rights to help eliminate discrimination and opened up Canada's immigration policy to allow more non-white immigrants into the country. This would make it easier for people like Violet's grandparents, who endured so much hardship half a century earlier. In 1963, Violet moved to New Jersey to become the executive director of the Newark YMCA's community branch. Working for the YMCA, she helped black applicants find employment. Two years later, she married Godfrey Henry, with whom she would have one child in 1966, Joanne Henry. She said, One advantage of having my daughter when I was 36 was that I had been working for a great many years in jobs where I could travel. I had the chance to be independent. I had a job I was well into, and I was earning good enough salary that there was no problem about getting babysitters. In 1969, the family moved to Chicago, where she continued to work for the YMCA. And in 1976, she was appointed as the executive director of the National Council of YMCA's Organizational Development Group, making her the first woman named to an executive position in the organization. Sadly, she passed away far too soon. On March 30, 1982, at the age of 52, Violet King died of cancer in New York. A few months before her death, her mother talked to the Calgary Herald about Violet as a black Canadian. She said, I don't know why they can't take people as people instead of worrying about their color. For decades in Canada, following her death, Violet King went ignored, while people like legendary black cowboy John Ware were honored with roads, buildings, and even a mountain range in Alberta. King's white classmate Peter Lougheed has an entire provincial park named for him, a mountain and many roads and buildings. Yet, there was little for Violet. When Violet died, there were no mentions of it in any Canadian newspaper. It took four decades for Violet to be recognized. 
In February 2021, Federal Building Plaza, which can be viewed from the Alberta legislature, was finally renamed the Violet King Henry Plaza. Leela Sharon Ahir, then Minister of Culture, said, Violet King Henry defied expectations and broke barriers at every step of life. It is inspiring to think of her bravery and her perseverance and her passion to live her dreams. A giant mural of Violet was painted on Horizon Housing in Calgary, measuring three stories tall. It shows her as she passed the Alberta Bar. In February 2022, Heritage Calgary installed a commemorative plaque on her childhood home in Hillcrest Sunnyside. And in August of that same year, her former school, the University of Alberta, established the Violet King Henry Law School Award. This $20,000 award is given to a student who identifies as Black, African-Canadian, African-American, or Afro-Caribbean, and who has demonstrated academic standing, leadership, and a commitment to equality, diversity, and inclusion. On hand to see the award presentation for the first time was Joanne Henry, Violet's daughter, and she said, It is really exciting that this award is going to facilitate students every year to be able to be at such a great law school, her law school. The idea that it might be the difference between some students being able to go to law school at all would mean the world to her. So that is the story and legacy of Violet King. But she wasn't the only one in the family to fight against discrimination in Canada. After graduating from high school in Calgary, Ted King, Violet's brother, joined the Canadian military and served in England at a postal station from 1943 to 1946. Upon finishing his war service, he began working as a porter for the Canadian National Railway and Canadian Pacific Railway, just like his father had. During this time, he attended night school and received an accounting diploma. By 1953, he was married and the couple moved to Calgary, where a neighbour petitioned to prevent them from moving in. No one signed the petition and the neighbour moved away instead. From 1958 to 1961, Ted was the president of the Alberta Association for the Advancement of Coloured People. And in 1959, while looking for a friend who was staying at the Barclays Hotel in Calgary, he was told the hotel didn't allow black people. To test this, Ted tried to book a room and was denied. So Ted launched a legal challenge and on April 7, 1960, the case was dismissed. It was found that the motel owner didn't need to follow the Innkeepers Act because he didn't serve food and was not an inn. The act didn't allow for discrimination based on race. So Ted appealed it all the way to the Alberta Supreme Court, which maintained the ruling. And while he lost that case, later that year, the Alberta legislature closed that loophole in the Innkeepers Act by eliminating the food requirement, forcing all places in the province that offered accommodations to do so for anyone who paid. Because of Ted King, no one would be denied a hotel stay due to their race. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at Violet King. Information from Retroactive, Calgary Herald, Canadian Encyclopedia, University of Alberta Faculty of Law, Wikipedia, Legal Archive Society of Canada, Edmonton Journal, The Calgary Albertan, and The Montreal Gazette. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Velasquez. Audio production and design by Rosalind Kufour. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. 
We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.